In our last episode, we explored the events that occurred after the bombs dropped in October of 2077. This episode, we're going to take a look at the events that followed that month. And this will cover things from all of the games, events that occur in each of the games, events that occur in some of the vaults. This is a timeline of events as we know them right now. And if that covers things that might be spoilers for you and you don't want to plug into this episode, then that makes a lot of sense. I get it. Um, but that's that's what we're going to do, because what I what I really want to do with these timeline episodes, my goal for these timeline episodes is to give you a, a an inclusive sense, a holistic sense. Maybe that's the best way to say it of everything that happened and how things moved along and how they occurred. So let's dive in. We know about the events of October. and. October is a busy month. It makes sense. It's it's the month that the bombs were dropped and we have a lot of information about very specific dates and even times in October. And the timeline outside of October gets a little bit more expansive. We have certain days that are on the list. We have sometimes it's a specific week in a month or it's a general sense of in this month at some point something happened. So let's take a look at what we do know. We do know that a few weeks later from the events that occurred in October, so sometime in November, Captain Maxon and his men and their families arrived at the Lost Hill Bunker. And many of them suffered casualties along the way, including Maxon's wife, but not his teenage son. And the surviving soldiers went on to become the Brotherhood of Steel. This was the core group that survived and took the, that ideology into the wasteland. We also know that during the Exodus, a faction within the Brotherhood of Steel, led by Sergeant Dennis Allen, breaks off to explore the Southeast Glow to recover technology. The captain refuses to permit this, so Alan and his separatist group splits from the Brotherhood of Steel, and they take with them power, armor, and weapons. So now we have division in the Brotherhood of Steel, not even an entire month into their existence. Later on in November, the separatists make their way to the West Tech research facility. They arrive there 20 days later and are promptly chewed apart by West Tech's unforgiving automated defense systems. And wounded, Alan begins to suffer radiation poisoning from a leak in his suit. Before he dies, he logs what happened to the expedition into a holodisc. I guess you could say that uh, either the West Tech facility must have had some amazing automated defense systems, or this splinter group of the Brotherhood just wasn't that good at doing what they're supposed to do. We also have a vague understanding of something else that happened in November. And this is when Miss Carrie Delaney is the last adult to leave Little Lamplight in search for help. This is all the way on the other coast. Ten-year-old child Jason Grant takes charge in her absence. Little Lamplight, of course, is the community run and completely inhabited by children 
And once the children got old enough, they left the community. So the rest of the month, we do have dates for. On November 1st, Theodore Krupp wakes to the complete devastation of his family, who began suffering from ghoulification. Now, what's interesting about this is this is November 1st. The bombs dropped on October 23rd. So this is just a week after the bombs drop. Ghoulification already starts setting in, at least in one family. So it can be assumed that it didn't take that long for ghoulification to happen. The people that we know as ghouls in the wasteland, the ones who survived from the time of the bombs, who may be 100, 200 years old, didn't suffer from radiation exposure and and those kinds of things for months and months and months and eventually became ghouls. It may be the case that within a week, most of them changed and it was a very sudden change. On November 1st, we also have uh, the foreman of the South Boston factory learned via radio that Framingham, Massachusetts was completely devastated. On the second, there was supposed to be a special election for senator of the Appalachia territories. This was supposed to take place on that day, which would fill the vacated seat of Samuel Blackwell. This is tied to events that we learn about in Fallout 76. And these events are noted throughout Fallout 76 in the audio logs and the documents and things that you find. And what's so interesting about Fallout 76 is Fallout 76 occurs only a few decades after the bombs drop. So there's a lot of this time period right after the bombs dropped in Appalachia because they didn't get hit directly of people making changes, trying to adjust to living a new life in a situation that was very different from what they knew before, but not necessarily being obliterated. So you have things like special elections and um, mayors and organizations of individuals who are are working to pull together and help the community get out of this situation. So we also have a little bit of vault news here. Vault 106 on November 2nd, psychoactive drugs were released throughout the vault. If you remember the vault 106 episode, this is a vault where an experiment was being done and not even, not even two weeks after, I mean, a little bit over a week after the bombs dropped, the experiments started happening. And in this vault, everybody went insane because of the drugs that were being released on November 4th. And this is the last date in November. We have a specific date for uh, camp venture was secured by Taggarty's Thunder in preparation for winter. And if you recall, Taggarty's Thunder is the group from Fallout 76 that eventually became the Brotherhood in Appalachia because of the communication they had with Maxon. And then we have a few dates in December. There's only two. December 14th, the White Spring Inventory reveals a stockpile large enough to last a decade, if not more. So the White Springs in Appalachia And on the 25th, the security and support staff of Vault 111 celebrates Christmas. You might remember this from the Christmas episode I did back in December. Do they celebrate Christmas in the wasteland? So other than that, that's all the information we have for the remaining dates in the last two months of 2077. So let's move into 2078. 
There are, again, like I noted, some various general things that we know happened in that year. And then there are specific dates that we have as well. So we know that 2078 was the year that the dwellers in Vault 87, this was in the Capital Wasteland, were locked into their airtight chambers and exposed to the FEV by their overseer and his security. And if you recall, they were simply following the, quote, plan laid out by vault Tech. The Vault's population, of course, is transformed into super mutants. Also, 2078 was the planned opening of the Angry Anaconda at Nuka World. Now, as we move into the winter of 2078, it is noted that this is an extremely challenging time period in Charleston in Fallout 76. And this becomes the most difficult winter on record. It becomes something that they reference time and time again in comparing other winters to. So on January 1st, we do know that the General Atomics Galleria was planned for automatic reopening. Rex Meacham, M-E-A-C-H-A-M, finishes Project Cobalt, and this was another Nuka World thing. Then we know that between the dates of January 8th and 10th, what sounded like a two-day windstorm occurred in Zion Canyon, and the radiation dropped 500 rads. On January 15th, glowing green snow fell in Zion Canyon. On the 26th, the, the city of kids, Little Lamplight that we mentioned before, is officially founded. It took a few months, but eventually they founded it. By unanimous vote, Jason Grant is named as the city's first mayor. And it's, it's kind of cute that you have a city of kids and yet they had such good documentation as to what occurred when. From the 28th to the 30th, the background radiation in Zion Canyon is finally low enough for Randall Clark to explore outside the USGS research station. He quickly finds himself to be the only living thing in the immediate vicinity. And if you need a reminder as to who Randall Clark is, then you just need to go back to the episode we had with our patrons and Aperture Flash told the story of Randall Clark and his family. Now... February 2nd, Theodore Krupp, who we mentioned had the, the family that was becoming ghoulified, he gathers the shuffling remains of his family together and locks them in the basement, unable to bring himself to end their suffering. And he went out to look for other survivors, both human and ghoul alike. On April 23rd, Vault 111's 180-day mandatory shelter period elapses, but the overseer refuses to open the vault, having not received the scheduled all-clear signal. The support staffers and security grow restless with their continued confinement and plot a mutiny. This is part of the events of Vault 111's timeline that you didn't experience because you were frozen in the vault in Fallout 4. This is some of the things that happened before you woke up and watched the kidnapping of your child, the murder of your spouse, and then again woke up and left the vault. So moving forward, we get to the summer of 2078 and the planned launch date for Hermes 13 and Hermes 14 intended for use in the latest manned mission to Mars. However, as the war with China intensified, the Enclave and Department of Defense agents seized control of the Space Center 
and tried to retrofit the rockets to travel to bomb 002 and another planet. Now, this is another one of those events that is specific only to Van Buren. But what I do like about the things that we learn from Van Buren is that they give us a sense of what some of the creators thought about the world. And this means that by the summer of the year after the bombs dropped, that there is still a sort of government response to the war. The war with China intensified the Enclave Department of Defense. They were still in communication, at least in part with each other and in mobilizing some sort of response to what was going on in the war. This is especially fun for me because it it gives me this feeling that maybe there was more happening in parts of the world that we were not connected to. So, for example, if most of the United States was bombed, but the United States had military in other locations across the globe, then that mil- that part of the military may still have been fighting a war for months or maybe longer in parts of the world that we were completely unaware of. And as far as I know, we don't have any real reports of what things were like in China. If they dropped the bombs on us, if that's exactly what happened, and it seems to be what happened, and we retaliated with them, how much of a retaliation did we get off before our nuclear silos no longer worked? Or did we get off a retaliation? We know that some nukes made it into orbit, but how many? Were there large swaths of Asia that were unhit by nukes where combat continued? Were there soldiers that were ready to deploy over across the sea? This is why I think a fallout China would be a really interesting way to go with the story to find out more about what happened on that side of the world and what was going on when the bombs went off over here in the States. Now going back to Appalachia, we have the date of July 21st when we know that the snow finally thaws in the mountains after a winter of the century. It took to almost the middle of the summer for the the snow to thaw and then radiation levels came down. And then that's when the White Springs Resort came back to life. In other Appalachian news, we do know that it was sometime in August that Shannon Rivers makes her first excursion as the Mistress of Mystery. This is another, of course, Fallout 76 thing. If you haven't played through the questline Mistress of Mystery, it's one of my favorite in Fallout 76. And it's directly tied to the comic book hero and an order of, let's just say, women who become kind of, I don't know, secretive about their activities. Just leave it there. Uh, Then we have August 3rd, Carmen Green, Matthew Johnston, Elizabeth Chambers, and Joel Chambers of Vault 51 are killed during a confrontation regarding the affairs they are having with one another. Their bodies are found by Helen Marks and Reuben Gill. Vault 51 was an Appalachian vault with a really interesting way of determining who the leader was going to be. On August 6th, Omar Steffens finds Helen Marks dead, presumed poison, in Vault 51 in the mess hall. Her death spurs Reuben Gill to go on a rampage, killing all of the residents in the vault. So that was just three days later. 
August 30th, the White Spring Resort is locked down to maintain its supplies. We know of this from a terminal entry that reads, user's log, 8.30.78. We're starting to see people on the roads now. Mr. Wellsby volunteered to go talk with a couple of them. Between the bombs, the radiation, the winter, it sounds like a lot of people are dead. God only knows what the big cities are like. I told Lou to keep the grounds locked down. No one in or out, except with my permission. It's hard, real hard. I've lived here my whole life. Appalachia's a place where you help folks, you know? We've all run on hard times, and we can help. We could help a lot. But once you start talking to people, where do you stop? At some point, there won't be enough to go around. So they're starting to realize the dire nature of the situation. So once they open up, they realize, well, there are people out there. A lot of people are dead, but there are still people out there. And if we just let them all in, we're going to run out of our own food. So now we're back to October. And on October 23rd, Vault 94, which again is in Appalachia. It's the one with the uh, different ideological groups living in it. The one that they, they made the, uh, the raid for reopens as the mandatory minimum shelter period ends. The vault ambassadors are dispatched as missionaries across Appalachia to aid and assist survivors. On November 11th, Shannon, Frederick, and Olivia Rivers discover four children in their garage scavenging. The girls are accepted. The boy, Brody Terrence, was sent away. This is another Fallout 76 reference. On November 20th, the mayor of Harper's Ferry, Miranda Vox, sends a group of survivors with an ambassador from Vault 94, the one I just mentioned, to investigate their claims of being able to feed the town. Certain the dwellers' hospitality is a trap. The group massacres the vault's leader and attacks the vault's GEC unit, triggering a massive nuclear explosion. A thick fog pours from the vault's entrance rapidly intensifying the area's swampy environment and mutating the region's thick foliage to create the mire. This is the formation of the mire. This is the event that occurred, which created the red vines and the rampant growth of foliage across this section of the map. And if you haven't played Fallout 76, go look up a video that includes the mire. It is a really interesting location. And it, I remember getting to this location in Fallout 76 and thinking, okay, something happened here. There's a story behind exactly what happened here because it's hard to know what would have caused this, especially when you see things like entire trees and cars and buses wrapped in these vines and lifted off of the ground. But the vines are no longer moving. So it's as if they grew extremely quickly and then stopped. We wrap up the year 2078 with three events in December, all tied to the White Springs Resort. The Modern Heritage Initiative automatically activates, surprising staff and guests. This was a complete remodel of the of the fast facility. Is that the right word? The facility uh, in a new style. And it was programmed into the bots on the premises. And you can see in the the data logs that the staff had a very hard time trying to get this not to happen on the 12th, the white spring resort staff learns that the modern heritage initiative cannot be overridden and the guests will be kicked out on January 1st. There's a whole bunch of these warnings that come up in the data logs saying warning, this is happening is happening on the first 
the guests and staff prepare on that date for expulsion. On the 31st, the White Springs Resort hosts its last New Year's gala. The supplies are doled out and the people move out into the wasteland. So that's 2078. Lots of Fallout 76 events, a few other events from some vaults and some other things in the other games. And I'll be back after the break with the events of 2079. All right, so everybody knows how VPN services and ExpressVPN can protect your privacy and security online, right? But did you know that there are some secret hidden benefits to using ExpressVPN, like unlocking movies and shows that are only available in other countries? So if you're like me, you probably enjoy watching shows on Netflix, for example. Well, with ExpressVPN, you can unlock the UK version of The Office or Parasite from South Korean Netflix. Over a hundred different countries. All you have to do is change your location and refresh Netflix or whatever, Hulu, BBC iPlayer, YouTube, you name it. In fact, when I set it up for myself, I was surprised at how easy it was. It just installs and then loads up and works. And it works on more than just PCs, phones, media consoles, smart TVs, and so much more. So if you want to access hundreds of new shows, use my link right now, expressvpn.com slash falloutlore, and you can get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. That's expressvpn.com slash falloutlore, expressvpn.com slash falloutlore to learn more. Hello there, old chap. Good to see another of General Atomic's finest still eager to serve. All right, Wastelanders and Vault Dwellers, thanks for joining me again on the Fallout Lorecast. I am your host, as always, Tom or Robots, and I wanted to give a shout out to our new podcast on the network, the Keelhauled Podcast. This is a Sea of Thieves podcast hosted by Captain Logan. If you are into Sea of Thieves, then this is the podcast for you. It's it's the best Sea of Thieves podcast out there. It's the kind of show that I heard and immediately was like, wow, this guy's doing an awesome job. This show needs to be on the network. And we worked it out. So Captain Logan with the Keelhauled podcast is on the network. And I've jumped into Sea of Thieves again. And every time I jump back into this game, there are more and more updates and more content. And it's a lot of fun. If you just can get three friends to ride around on a boat with you, playing funny songs and finding treasure on islands and then that kind of thing you should go check it out i also sign up I, I never actually bought the game i sign up on uh, xbox game pass which works on pc as well and you can get it, the game pass for like a month for a dollar and there's a ton of games on there including sea of thieves and the outer worlds and all sorts of other stuff so go check that out if you're into that game go look up the keelhold podcast it's on the network and tell captain logan hi for from robots all right, so let's see. What else is there? Um, of course, you guys know how to help out with the show. Uh, one of the things that I don't note very often on the podcast is, is well, uh, the question to an answer that, uh, well, the answer to a question, man, words are tough sometimes, that came up uh, about a week ago on the Discord. Somebody, one of the newer members of the Discord was asking if I do this full time. And I don't bring this up very often, but I, I'm not actually full time podcasting yet. I'm still working part time at my regular job and part time doing podcasting. And it's my goal to get to a point where this can eventually replace my income 
so that I can do this full time. So just wanted to kind of get you guys up to speed on that. I shifted about six months to a reduced regular schedule for my regular job so I could do this more, but it's something I've been working on and I'm getting closer and closer to. So every little bit, every little thing you do helps me get closer to that goal, whether it is recommending the shows to your friends, leaving ratings and reviews, signing up on the Patreon, buying things from the Robots Radio store, robotsradio.net slash store will take you to the Teespring t-shirt shop. There's some t-shirts and there's actually pillows and things on there as well, but you can, you can buy t-shirts from the store that helps support me as well. There's all sorts of things you can do. So anyway, there's lots of ways to support me and help me continue to do this full time. And I do genuinely appreciate the help. So thank you all for being here and on with the show. If you have any questions about Nuka World, I'd be delighted to answer them. All right, so let's wrap up this episode with the events of 2079. 2079 is pretty slim. There aren't a lot of events that are specific to that date. We do know that uh, Rayleigh Clay, is that how you pronounce that name? R-A-L-E-I-G-H, Raleigh, Raleigh, Raleigh Clay, gives the all clear signal for the Free State's members to emerge from their bunkers. Clay is contacted by the mayor of Harper's Ferry, desperate for assistance following the nuclear attacks. Despite previous misgivings between the townsfolk and the free states, Clay ultimately agrees to provide aid. So this is another one of those events that happened in Fallout 76. And you might be wondering, who are the free states? The free states are the Appalachian free states, or simply the free states. And they were a secessionist militia movement, primarily consisting of Appalachian survivalists. Following the Great War, they attempted to create a new society, but by 2102, they had been exterminated. So spoilers, that does happen, uh, but not for a little while in our timeline. Later on that year, on a date that we, we don't know for sure, uh, a group of Free States members secures the Thunder Mountain power plant, but is later assaulted by Taggarty's Thunder. Remember the, the group that becomes the Brotherhood in Appalachia? After a two-day siege, the group chooses to surrender the complex. So here's a fun one. On February 4th, the Puppet Man opens the crate of puppets for the first time, initiating Vault 77's social experiment. The vault with the man and the puppets. Oh, man. On March 30th, the Puppet Man and the rest of the puppets celebrate the King's birthday. Congratulations to the King. On April 29th, the Order of Mysteries is founded. This is the Mistress of Mysteries storyline in 76. And then to wrap up 2079, I told you not a whole lot happened in 2079, I guess. In December, the Puppet Man leaves Vault 76. Now, there is one entry in 2080 that I want to bring to your attention. It says here that in 2080, the first effects of radiation are seen in the survivors. Widespread mutations occur with animals and humans alike. Those that survive the effects of the mutations are permanently changed and new species are created almost overnight. So this is interesting because we have reports of ghoulification happening within just a very short time of the bombs dropping. And then we have roughly a year, maybe a longer go, go by. Cause we don't have a specific date for when this occurs in 2080. And that's when 
we start to see widespread mutations in animals and humans throughout the wasteland. So it took a little time for that to really start emerging, but it did. And this entry is from the Fallout Bible. And we went over the Fallout Bible. We had a whole episode about that. So it's it's pretty core to the the timeline. It's pretty core to the lore of the series that this is when this occurred. So before 2080, you wouldn't have come across, say, a mire lurk or a giant mole rat. Things like that just weren't quite in the wasteland yet. But you can imagine the shock as people who are acclimating to the wasteland have been living in it for a good year, year and a half. And then all of a sudden they start coming across creatures with two heads or extremely large size. So that's where I'm going to leave you off. I'm not sure if we'll continue next week with more timeline. I might jump into something else and come back to some timeline stuff again later in the future, but we might come back to it. Let me know if you've been enjoying these episodes because like I said early on uh, with the last episode, that this is kind of a, a test run to see how this goes and how to present these in a way that's interesting and kind of fun. So let me know what you think. And until next time, stay safe in the wasteland, everybody. Things are kind of rough out there. Make sure you're wearing your power armor, your radiation masks. And, uh, you know, if you, if you don't have to leave the house, then maybe just don't leave the house. All right, guys. Talk to you later. To plug into everything else we're doing, check out robotsradio.net. Also, look up the Robots Radio YouTube for videos about Fallout and other things. And check us out on Twitter, twitter.com slash robotsradio. This podcast was brought to you in part by our patrons at patreon.com slash falloutlorecast, including our tier five patrons. Thank you so much to Firewriter for supporting the show. Also, if you're interested in business inquiries, advertising on the show, or applying to be a podcast on the Robots Radio Network, send me a message at falloutlorecast at gmail.com or robotsnetwork at gmail.com.